Hey everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Abajemra and I'm your host. It is uh, great to have you back with us if you've been here before and if you're new, welcome. We're glad that you checked in with us. This is a place where we share biblical truth for everyday life. Our hope is that you grow in the knowledge of God and that you continue to stand strong in a world that is shaken. And so this summer we are running a teaching series that I've put together called the Unshaken Series. It is an awesome teaching series and uh, one of the most popular teachings that I've done. It uh, focuses each week on a different Bible character, a man or woman that has stood strong in faith no matter the difficult circumstances they were in. I know that you're gonna find hope and healing with each of the weeks that will cover a different episode. And so uh, if you wanna know more about our ministry, check out livingwithpower.org. And by the way, when you land on our page, check out our speaking page. And if you are looking for a person to come and teach uh, or lead a conference at your church or uh, group gathering, then please reach out. We'd love to meet you in person. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and listen to today's teaching in the Unshaken series. Awesome, awesome. So we are in our series called Unshaken, Strong in Faith No Matter What. We're in lesson 28 and we are in John 21. Let me read you a little bit of the story, put some context to it, and then give you, as usual, three points to our teaching tonight called Unshaken When I Feel Like a Failure. The, the emphasis is when I feel like a failure. Most often in life, I'd almost say always in life, but the truth is there are times when we genuinely fail, but more often than not, it's the feeling of failing that really gets us. It's one thing when we know we've not studied for an exam and gone and taken it and failed, but it's another one. We've given it everything and walked in and we come out and we failed. And then you can't shake that and you want to forget it and you want to move past it, but you can't because it's there. And we're in that place with Peter today. And he's in a place in his life where he knows that he has dropped the ball. He has failed. Everybody around him knows it too. In fact, we know it today because we're reading scripture that recorded it. So I'm going to tease out that story. I've loved this series because I have the privilege of picking the passages that I'm going to teach. And it's not always the case. Often I'll teach through a book of the Bible. And I love doing that, of course, because God's word is true. And he tells us about himself. And he teaches us about life through anything that you pick in scripture or follows through. But, but, but I love when we do these topical studies that God gives me a little freedom to pick stories. And this, like John 11 was another, John 21 is highlights in my favorite. If you ask, what are your favorite Bible stories? I would say, go back and look at this series and you'll see this thread of chapters that God has used monumentally in my life. John 21 is that chapter. Again, another strong chapter. I know you're going to see the same in your life. So here's, here's what the word of God says in verse one. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now stop for a second and bring you into after this. After what? What is this? Well, very simply, the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's died. Everybody's given up on him, uh, on, on everything. They've given up on his promises. They've given up on his reality. They've given up on his truth. They've given up on everything. And, 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 and earlier in chapter 20, ironically, He's already risen and he's shown up to the woman, Mary Magdalene. And, and, and we get that account in, in John chapter 20. It says that the evening of that day, first day of the week, the doors being locked. The disciples uh, were in the upper room in the, uh, out of fear. And so Jesus comes to them, says, peace be with you and, 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 and on and on. So now we're sort of in this post-resurrection 
time, and I'm not sure exactly where John 21 falls in this spectrum, but Jesus is risen and the disciples, I think this is still, this was like the third time, I think you'll see in the text in a minute, that he had shown himself to the disciples. So they're still sort of easing into this post-resurrection life. They are not yet filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter is still carrying a lot of his own failures, and we'll get into that in a minute. So, so this is the context of where we are in terms of, this is the last chapter of John. And so now we're, um, the, the, he revealed, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples, and he reveals himself in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of uh, Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Now, by the way, there were a couple of post-resurrection accounts, more than a couple, where Jesus was in the flesh, showed up, and the, he, 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 God is the one who opens our eyes to recognize him. This is a very important truth. But we see that pattern in the post-resurrection appearances where Jesus walked with the disciples at Emmaus. We see here where he... The, the disciples are kept from seeing Jesus quite yet because it's not time for them to recognize who he is. And so there's, he did the same thing with the woman after the resurrection. Um, Mary Magdalene did not recognize him. And then he calls her name. And then she says, Rabboni, uh, teacher. And so, and so we see that pattern. Again, a reminder that God is the one who opens our eyes. This is why we pray. This is, well, he puts it in our heart to pray. Like he, so he draws us to himself, but then he gives us the willingness to want him and, and praise God for that. And when you think about grace and God's grace in your life, and when you think about this so precious gift of salvation, so, so many of us, are like, a, like it's easy to sort of, I know in my life when I've gone through disappointments and difficulties, it's easy to be like, you know, I undervalue my salvation. Have you, have you ever been in that zone? When I want things from God that he hasn't delivered, it's easy to sort of start to feel sorry for yourself and sort of get in this negative mindset of being like, God never gives me anything I want. And, 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 and you know in your heart, like you're like, I know he saved me. I know he died for me. And we sort of minimize the magnitude of what he does for us on the cross. We, we minimize the magnitude of his opening our eyes to know him. Again, do we have to receive him? Absolutely. But the gift of grace is God opening our eyes to see him, all right? So now, Peter, and, and, and if you, we're going to get into the why that led to this, but he's not in a good place. Remember, in fact, why don't we do that now? This seems as good a time as any as I get into this first point here. In fact, here's the first point. Unshaken, when I feel like a failure, write down point number one, and, and you guys know we have an outline you can follow. Number one, your failure is never a surprise to God. Now, Peter has failed. You say, how? Uh, well, he denied Jesus. He's known to be the person of one of the 12 disciples. There was one who betrayed Jesus, and you already know who was that. I don't need to give you the name. You're probably saying it. It's Judas. He betrayed Jesus. And who denied Jesus? What well, was Peter? The story is told in all the Gospels, but in Luke chapter 22, I think it's my favorite account of it because you can see on the same page of my Bible, the denial of Jesus here. And then if you look at the other page, you'll see the setup for the denial. And the setup for the denial was, G was Peter bragging to Jesus that he would never deny him. So he sort of puts himself in this place where he's like... Dude, Jesus, I love you more than anybody. No one can take that away from me, right? And so in Luke 22, we hear this encounter in verse 31. Um, and, 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 and Jesus warns Peter in that place, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. 
Peter says to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. So the point here is that your failure is never a surprise to God. So this encounter happens and the other gospels tell it with a little, each of the writers of each gospel tells the stories from their different angles. So it's cool to watch, especially the synoptic gospels where the same stories are repeated and sort of get the different perspectives. And so in another one, Peter actually brags and says, I'm never gonna deny you. And, and Jesus says, well, before you, this rooster crows, so the different angle of it. And this is the only one where Jesus talks about this principle of I'm gonna sift you like wheat and then you're gonna come back and strengthen the brothers. Peter has no clue what Jesus means. And so he has a heads up, but he doesn't hear it. By the way, so much of the patterns of failure in our own Christian life, in our, in our, in our obedience to Christ, doesn't happen in areas that we're ignorant of. Most of us know what God wants us to do and what he doesn't want us to do. Like it's, it's not rocket science. And yet, like Peter, even though we've been told, hey, you're gonna fail me in a certain way, when it push comes to shove, we end up failing. And, and even that is sovereignly orchestrated by God. It's, it's crazy. And so why? Well, he has a purpose to it. Remember, he has a purpose in everything. He has a purpose in our failure. Not that God takes joy in our failure, but he knows that we're but human and we're gonna fail. So here again, we go a few verses into Luke 22 and we get to verse 54. And, and I'm setting up sort of this, this mood that Peter was in when we catch him in John 21. So he's, I'm, I'm gonna just present to you that what was it that he failed in? And so here's Peter in, in Luke 22 and he um, now knows that, you know, he's, Claim that he's never going to deny Jesus. He's going to stand for him. And Jesus says, you're going to deny me. And now we hit 54 and they seize Jesus and they lead him away. And we're told, and Peter was following at a distance. I've always, uh, I love scripture. I love the wording. I don't think it's uh, missed on any of us that that sentence, Peter was following at a distance, is a red flag. That is a slow drift away from where you need to be. Some of you right now, you're listening and you have been following Jesus, but you're following at a distance. And listen, if you've ever tried to get somewhere in the dark, uh, there is nothing like following somebody to get where you're going because you have the peace of mind of knowing you're following somebody. And, and if you're like me, if it's real dark and you're following someone to get to a place that you've never been before, the best advice anyone can give you is stay close to the person you're following. Not too close, but close enough. Now with Jesus, you want to be as close as you can. But, but the idea is that if you drift, and this is where we see this starting, Peter's following at a distance. And, and of course, the story, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he's making a fire, a servant girl says, hey, aren't you the one who was with Jesus? And three times uh, it happens. Uh, verse 60, Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Verse 61, and the Lord, remember Christ is on the cross. Peter can see him. It says, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord and how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And in verse 62, and this is key, you want to follow at a distance, here's where you're going to end up. And he went out and wept bitterly. And uh, who of us hasn't experienced that sting of doing the thing that you said, I'll never do in my life. And, 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 and so that's Peter. And everybody knows the story. And now we go to John again. And so now Jesus is about to show up in one of his early post-resurrection appearances in John 21. And Peter, in verse 3 of John 21, this is our text, we're going to stay here now. He says, I'm going fishing. And the insinuation, if you've heard this preached before, if you've read commentaries, you know that that was not like a hopeful, hey, we got a day off, let's go fishing. These are not Wisconsin, you know, we're going up north, we've got a long weekend. No, this was a wait. This was a, 
a, a Peter who had been called to leave the nets to follow Jesus and make fishers of men. Now he's done a 180 turnaround. He weeps bitterly. He's down. He, Jesus is dead as far as he knows. And he's now going in a boat to go fishing back to the life that he knew that was comfortable, that he could put his arms around and touch and control and control. And uh, of course, Jesus is never surprised by our failures. Your failure is never a surprise to God. And so just as day is breaking in verse four, Jesus stands on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? I'm picking it back up the reading now. They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. Now, of course he knew him because they'd spent three years with him and they'd seen all he could do. And there was a recognition now, but, but it was even more than that because back, I think in Mark 5, I, I, I forgot to write down the part in scripture, but back in the early gospels, early in the, in fact, if you've watched The Chosen, you've probably watched the episode where early in the course of, of, of Jesus's itinerant ministry where he's preaching during the three years that he had on earth serving as basically the savior, but, but in those three years, so he lived for 30 years as a carpenter. And then at, at age 30, he launched the ministry was launched. He was baptized and the Lord Jesus had three years of ministering. And early in that season, he had gone, uh, he was given a talk, a sermon to the people. And he saw the boat of Peter and he asked, can I get in it? So he stood, used P Peter's boat as a platform, had finished his sermon. And then he said to Peter, Hey, put your net on the other side. They, they had fished, they had gotten nothing. And so Peter, Jesus had said to them, put your net on the other side and the exact same miracle is given again. Now, the same miracle that had astounded the disciples back in the early gospel, um, Peter and the disciples in response to the miracle had fallen on their faces and says, uh, get, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner, get away from me, that sort of repentant attitude. And by the way, that pattern of recognition of who I am as a sinner, when I see the Lord, that pattern is very common in scripture. Every time a human has an encounter with the Lord, uh, even the Old Testament with Yahweh in the New Testament with the Lord, anytime our eyes are open to who God is, there's a deep recognition. Job had the same thing when God showed up to Job's life later in the course of the trials. And he said, do you, you know, stand strong, do you, you know, hear who God tells who he is. And by the end of that discourse, Job is like, I'm a sinner. Woe is me. Woe is me. And, and, and if you, uh, if you want to know if you're coming in contact with the Lord Jesus Christ, I, the easiest way to tell is, are you on your face, uh, repentant of the sin in your life? And uh, though God doesn't condemn us in our sins, he saved us from our sins. He wants to wash us from our sins. He wants to change us. But the truth is that that is the surest way to know that you've encountered the Lord is in recognition of your deep sinfulness. And so now the Lord in his goodness uh, shows up and, and of all the miracles that he could have done for Peter, he chooses the same one that had radically blown Peter's mind away. And, uh, and, and, and John recognizes that it's the Lord. So Simon Peter heard, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. Why did he put his outer garment? A lot of, again, commentators say he was ashamed. You know, it was like he was covering his nakedness because he puts his coat and then jumps in the water. So it doesn't make any sense. And, 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 and you know how if you've ever done something that you know you shouldn't do, that there's a sense that it's, it's ironic in a way because you, you, if you're in that place where you failed the Lord and you know you need him, but he's the, you don't know how to approach him. And it almost takes a shove. You know, God has to really draw you to himself because we sort of, like I've been there where I know like, 
the only solution for me is Jesus, but I'm so ashamed by what I've done that the last place I want to go is Jesus, but he's the one I need the most. And that's why we talk about the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Because those times when you finally understand and realize, okay, I am going to have to come to the Lord just as I am. The old song, you know, Billy Graham used to end every crusade just as I am without one plea and, and that my life, my blood was shed for thee, you know, etc. That's the idea is that God brings us to that point of recognition of who we are and of, of allowing us that ability to see his mercy so that even when we don't deserve his love, we still can't help it. We're running towards him. And that's Peter. He's swimming towards him. Um, but, but there's a conversation to be had. Jesus is not done with Peter. In fact, your failure is never a surprise to God. Just give you a few sub points here before I give you the big idea. Number two, while we think we'll never fail God, he loves us despite our future failures. We think our value to God is that we're going to be really good, right? I mean, we just think, God, you saved me. All my passes are washed away. Look what you got. Now I'm going to be really good and earn my place in God's kingdom. But it doesn't work this way. In fact, the longer you're a Christian, the more you see the depth of your depravity and sin. And it is, uh, despite that, in fact, it is... Um, uh, God's, God loves us despite knowing, just like he knew in Peter's life, that he would fail, and still he loved him. And he sh shows up specifically, the first disciple listed in verse 2 of John 21, when Jesus reveals himself to the disciples, who does he pick? He picks Peter. And this is awesome. And so you might feel like the biggest failure. You might, in fact, you might be so long walking with Jesus that you're ashamed because of that. Because you're like, I should know by now. We all do this. I should, should, should. I should know by now that, and we are so quick to think, well, God must not love me. And many of us have gotten to the point of deconstruction of our faith where we don't even believe we're Christians anymore because we can't fathom this God whose grace extends to us even in our sinfulness well into our walk with him. And so uh, while we think we'll never fail God, he loves us despite our future failures. While we think our failures are final, God knows that our failures are only meant to make us stronger. The, the verses I read to you in Luke chapter 24, you might want to go back and underline them, where he says, listen, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but, but you're going to come back stronger and you're going to help the disciples. And how many of us haven't read the story of Peter? I can tell you in my own life, that story of Peter has done more to build up my faith than most passages of scripture. So the words of the Lord Jesus are indeed true in my life, let alone thousands and millions of others. And, and, and here's a third sub point for point one. While we think God's favor is lost when we fail, God's love is deeper than our failure. We are so performance-based. We just are working hard to earn our salvations. Even though we say, I believe I'm saved by grace, we spend so much energy in our life working to obtain God's favor. You don't need to work. He loves you. Despite your, on your worst days, despite your best potential, God loves you just the way you are. Where sin abounds, Paul says, I read today in Romans 6, where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you need to be reminded of the simple truth that God loves you. Yes, you. Yes, today, no matter what has happened in your life in this day. God is for you and he loves you and he won't stop until he's met with you and, uh, and shown you how deep his love for you is. So your failure never surprised to God. Here's the second big point. Your failure is your pathway to breakthrough, all right? 
Peter has already spent three years with the Lord. You might think his life couldn't get any better. Well, it, he was just getting started. And, and the breakthrough in his life was about to happen, and it happened through this gateway of his failure. Failure was the pathway for his breakthrough. And, and you say, well, what is breakthrough? Um, well, first of all, we see it practically, physically. God gives him this picture of breakthrough by the fishing miracle. He, he has no fish. He's frustrated. He's at the end of himself, a place many of us are familiar with. I, I felt at the end of myself earlier in the afternoon over a number of different things, nothing major my leg is healing. I mean, there's always a million good things happening in your life, but it's the one or two things that bug you, that keep you down. And, 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 and it's so easy to sort of lose hope because of that. And so some of you right now, you know, are sort of dreaming of this breakthrough. And so you're fishing like Peter and you've caught nothing and you're exhausted and you're tired and you're wondering where God is. And God shows up through that failure. So Peter, as a, even as a fisherman, he had failed as a disciple, but he was even failing as a fisherman. And God, Jesus shows up at post-resurrection, Jesus shows up and he, uh, he gives him this breakthrough. Had, had Peter and the disciples had a decent, I've always kind of sort of thought about this idea. Had Peter and the disciples had a good night of fishing, say they had caught 20 fish, they wouldn't have been looking for a breakthrough. When, when this man shows up on the shore and says, have you caught any fish? He, say they had had 20, 30 fish. They'd have been like, yeah, we're good. We don't need you. No problem. But, but, but the need for breakthrough came because they had nothing. It was their absolute need that set them up for the biggest breakthrough. And so, so often we are so upset about situations in our life where we look like we've got nothing, where we failed miserably. And yet that is the place where Jesus can show up. And now you don't just get 20 or 30 fish. He gives 153 fish. And the account tells us the number because I think it's so critical to sort of give you this, wow, I'm not a numerologist, but just probably people somewhere who have some kind of code as to what this 153 means. I don't know. We saw a lot of that in COVID. We'd get these emails with all these numbers that means the COVID-19 and what all that means. I, I don't know if I believe all that stuff. All I know is Jesus took what was nothing and he gave huge abundance. And some of you are dreaming of that in your life. And listen, that is the God we serve. And it is often through our failures that we are set up to see that kind of breakthrough. Right before we started, I wrote this down for a definition of breakthrough. Here it is. God showing up in a way I did not expect to do more than I ever expected him to do. God shows up, God showing up in a way I did not expect him to, to do more than I ever expected him to. That's breakthrough at the end of the day. You're, you hope God will do something. It's sort of this, this Ephesians 3.20, God doing above and beyond. Breakthrough is, is sort of, so God do it. Now, what is that more? Well, he decides. Sometimes it's 153 fish. Other times it's just his presence. Always it's Jesus. Always it's Jesus. But how he decides to remember Lazarus, he rose from the dead. Others died. For Paul, it was, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so, whereas with Lazarus, it was Lazarus come out. And so how he gives you breakthrough, I don't know, but it's God showing up in a way you didn't expect him to, to do far more than you ever expected him to. We think we have these high expectations from God, but what he longs to do in our life, they're even more because he's a God I think it was, uh, what missionary was it who, uh, uh, I can't think of his name now, but it was a missionary to India who used to say, um, attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Maybe one of you guys knows the name of that person. I can't remember his name. He did the printing press in India. Attempt great things for God, expect great things from God. Why? Because we have a great God. And so we try, we expect, and God breakthrough. He does more than we ever imagined. Um, 
more than we expected. And so uh, your failure is your pathway to breakthrough. And so the breakthrough for Peter, of course, wasn't just the fish in the net, but it was his whole ministry career just launched, his whole life in Christ. This chapter 21 of John would lead into then the pre-Pentecostal prayer meeting uh, where Peter would be filled with the Spirit of God at Pentecost and would preach the gospel. And of course, he would go on to become a cornerstone. You know, Jesus, of course, is the cornerstone, but Peter, one of the pillars of the early church, you know, there's Peter and there's Paul. And of course, this guy who had counted himself out, weeping bitterly, knowing that he had failed the Lord. And God literally does this thing in his life where he encounters him in his worst moment and sets him back onto his life and his calling. And, and you might need to hear that today. You might have counted yourself out. Maybe you think, man, I can't, I'm not, I'm of no use to God anymore. Listen, it is your brokenness that will set you up to greater usefulness with God. And so do not resent these days of brokenness and let God use them to draw you to him. Without failure, you see, we're too proud to recognize our true need. Without failure, we're not open enough for real breakthrough. And without failure, we're not humble enough to need. And so the entire setup of the story, so they get out on land, on, on land in verse 9, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it. So here's Jesus who just allowed them to get 153 fish, but he doesn't even need the fish that we bring. He's already has a fire made and fish there. So we just think we're so essential. Here's the fish, God, make me breakfast. God's like, I've got it. There's fish already. But, but the idea, again, is to remind us that he is God and we are not. And so Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. He already has fish laid out there. Just... And by the way, I mean, if you're ever going to lose your salvation over breakfast, this would be it. Where's the bacon? But verse 11, Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to disciples, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so were the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Remember, I told you that. I had read it. I couldn't see it at the beginning, but there it is three times at this point. Now, um, Jesus is not done with Peter. There's going to be a one-on-one, -on -one, and this is a good thing. So when they finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I said to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. That verse 18 is, is a verse of dependence. It is a verse of reminder that the ways of God are upside down. Where we think, where we live, human adults, we think, man, the older you are, the more independent you ought to be. And yet in God's economy, the more you walk with the Lord, the more dependent you need to be on Jesus. And, and so we see this here. Of course, this, this, this encounter with Peter is 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 is. There's a lot that can be said about it. Each question that Jesus asks Simon, do you love me? It's a different strength of love uh, leading to the most pure kind of love. And, 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 and one thing to reflect on, I think um, none of us, I, I, few of us, I should say, not none of us, but few of us fail. I don't think when we fail 
especially in the areas of, of you know, committing sins that we said we'd never sin. Like many Christians, we struggle with besetting sins and you keep falling into sins. I, I want to encourage you. I think no one, I don't think people who are stuck in besetting th- sins hate God. I really, I really don't. I think, I think we love God and part of our frustration, if you're a Christian, part of your frustration with besetting sin is that you know how much you love the Lord. And so it's, you almost, when, when I hear this encounter with, with, with Peter and Jesus, I think to myself, man, that's how I feel when I feel like, I, I, God, don't you know me? You know I love you. But my life doesn't reflect that love. And so Jesus, I think he's asking the questions more for Peter, first of all. Jesus knows he loves Peter. Jesus is already there. He's risen from the dead. He's paid the price for Peter's sin. Peter's washed. He's cleansed. He just doesn't understand it and see it yet. And, and, and the key to us understanding and seeing it is in verse 18, which is dependence. The only way for us to live in victory, the only way for us to grow is to live in utter dependence on the Lord, which is counterintuitive to us. We think we need to be stronger. And we think that stronger means I do it more, I do it faster, I do it better. Whereas God's saying, man, listen, the way to more is by giving up, letting go, and being utterly dependent on me. And so the last point in this is your failure is not the end of your story. When Jesus talks to Peter and says, do you love me? His instructions is feed my sheep. He's, he's, he's sending him out into the next phase of his calling. God uses our failures to deepen our love for him. I guarantee you Peter had an awareness of how much he loved Jesus in that moment, in that encounter. And the fact that Jesus wasn't like beating on him and how could you deny me? Didn't I warn you? That's what my mom would say. Didn't I tell you not to speed? You deserve that ticket, right? I haven't gotten a speeding ticket in a long time, but but that's how we handle each other humanly. Instead, Jesus, just his presence is convicting and his words are freeing and, 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 and also deeply convicting. And I don't think Peter was ever the same after that. And well, we know he wasn't. And so God uses our failures to deepen our love for him. Uh, God uses our failures to broaden our compassion for others. Peter couldn't feed the sheep as like he could now. He, he, he was arrogant. He thought he was better than everyone. He, he, he thought he'd never deny God. He thought he was better than Jesus up to a point. He was the one with the right answers every time. Remember when Jesus says, who do they say that I am? Are they Elijah? He says, who do you say that I am? And it was Peter who said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus was like, yes, but Peter, you know, gives them. And then there was another encounter where everybody left in John 6, 66. And, and, and Jesus looks at him and says, where will you go also? And Peter looks at him and says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He was strong. He was, no wonder he was called the rock, Simon, Peter, Peter, the rock, because he was strong, but maybe too strong in those early stages. And so though Christ had called him back in, in early Mark and says, man, man, leave your fishing nets. Come, I'll make you fishers of men. He never understood what that meant till here, John 21. He says, feed my sheep. But now there's a compassion. There's an understanding that's born out of brokenness. And uh, God uses our failures knowing it won't be the last time we will fail. In fact, in the very story itself, we move from this encounter between Peter and Jesus and verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? What about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. And that verse can preach. But to me, what I want to bring out tonight is this idea that that's another failure. That's Peter comparing himself to others, you know, envying maybe this John, 
all of the stuff that goes around with our human relationships. And, and despite that, Jesus knows Peter. He's not perfect. This one encounter, this one failure didn't turn him into magic Peter. It just has given him a sense of dependence. And so um, just a final couple thoughts. What you hate the most about your story is often what God will use the most to influence others the most. I'm going to say that again. I wrote a couple of these sentences. I like words and rhymes. What you hate the most about your story, I want you to think about that. What you hate the most about your story is often what God uses the most to influence others the most in your life. I think about my ministry to singles. I never intended to be single. God allowed that in my life. And, uh, and I never in my life, in my 20s, even in my 30s, never thought that God would open a door to serve singleness. What looked like a failure has turned into a deep well of uh, ministry to others. There's other big failures in my life. The book that I wrote uh, in the process of finishing now that will come out next fall, it's a process until it comes out. I believe you guys are going to love that book. It's uh, called, I can tell you the title, Fractured Faith. Uh, uh, making your way back to God in the age of deconstruction, basically. And, and I think about how, how near deconstruction my faith uh, uh, went through in the season of my life that was born out of a failure, a failure relationally with a church that I was very heavily involved in. And all of the pain that went there and sort of wrote this book this summer and thinking about that and how God is, has used and is using that story of pain to impact so many people and will continue to do that. And so um, I really believe that, that God, what you hate the most, I never would have wanted that part of my story. There are things in your life, some of you, you look at your broken marriages, you look at your kids and how you failed them, and you carry that and you bring it to the table and you can't let go of it. And all you see is the negative of it. Listen, those areas in your life, maybe it's your illness, maybe you have mental health stuff. Today, the podcast was on mental health. You know, Christians struggle with depression, with anxiety. What do you do? You're like, maybe you hate that. You don't know how to handle it. What you hate the most, my friend, uh, one of my friends is named Heather. Um, she has a great social media presence where she talks about mental health. She herself tried to commit suicide, had to be put in a mental health hospital. She's married to a pastor. She's called to ministry. She's gone through this and God has used that heavily to reach others. And she is a wonderful woman of God. And I watch her stuff regularly. And I don't know if she regularly watches here, but if she is, I pray God will encourage her with this. But what you hate the most about your story is often what God will use the most to influence others the most in your life. Let your failures drive you closer to Jesus. Won't you do that? God did that with Peter, and he'll do it with you. And uh, what if today he's waiting for you on shore, no matter how bad you feel about your life right now, God longs to resurrect that which is dead to bring to life that which feels broken. So let's pray for those things today. I don't need to know the details, but I know that the Lord knows and that he's at work in your life. 